Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to episode 363 of the non-award nominated UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Superheroes have earned their place as a huge part of popular culture, with Marvel and DC proving themselves as the leaders of the genre by pumping out a variety of comic books and box office hit movies. One of those superheroes is James Howlett, otherwise known as Wolverine, who first appeared in The Incredible Hulk number 184 in 1974. This shark-clawed mutant had an array of powers, And following his inclusion into the superhero gang known as the X-Men, Wolverine quickly became a fan favourite. The social outcast and loner had an inner battle to retain his humanity with his desire for bloodshed. And Wolverine slowly became one of Marvel's most significant superheroes. And in 2000, the X-Men were taken to the big screen and became a box office smash. With the Wolverine being played by actor Hugh Jackman. The film pulled in viewers who had never even read comic books. Now, this isn't really my thing, I don't know if it's yours, but in our story today, we look at what happened when one man became totally obsessed with the Wolverine character. It didn't end well. Okay, so let's quickly set some context for today's story with our guest, The Month and Year Game. At number three in UK charts was a lunch money Lewis with Bills. At number five in the US was Walk the Moon with Shut Up and Dance. And in Australia, the top album at the time was X from Ed Sheeran. You might have heard of him. In the World Snooker Championships in Sheffield, Stuart Bingham beat fellow Englishman Sean Murphy, 1815, for his lone world title. A gunfight between rival biker gangs and police in Waco, Texas, left nine dead and 18 injured. And David Letterman hosted The Late Show with David Letterman for the last time, ending 33 years in late night TV. At the 60th Eurovision Song Contest, you're a fan, aren't you? Mans Zemelo for Sweden won singing Heroes in Vienna. And the film Jurassic World premiered in Paris. Prince Charles began an official four-day tour of the Republic of Ireland by having a controversial meeting with Sinn Féin leader Jerry Adams. Okay, so did you guess the month and year? It was May 2015. Of course it was. This week's episode is sponsored by Canva for Teams. Look, I'm not just here for top crime stories, deep insight, and fantastically classy comedy. Oh no. Creating visual content is an essential part of what I do as a host of a podcast. But the creative process and the design really don't come very easy to me. But as I now produce videos and post other content every week, it's more important than ever that it's as good as it can possibly be, even for somebody of my lacking inability. And this is where Canva for Teams has transformed this part of my life, as with their templates and the way everything on Canva is so straightforward and intuitive. It makes it easy even for me to produce effective and consistent posts, 
and I'm particularly loving Canva whiteboards at the moment. It's a super easy way to capture your team's best ideas with loads of space to collaborate and to brainstorm. So if you're producing content for your social channels, or you maybe you've put it off because it can all seem a bit daunting sometimes, you don't need to wait any longer. Try it now. Design and collaborate with Canva for Teams. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you go to canva.me slash truecrime. That's C-A-M-V-A dot M-E slash truecrime for a free 45-day extended trial. Canva.me slash truecrime. Okay, so on to today's story. In the county of Oxfordshire, the town of Digcot has been lived in for some 9,000 years. Following the arrival of the Great Western Railway in 1839, Digcot has been known as a railway town and it even has a railway museum. It's known for its skyline in which the Digcot power station is in full view, which was switched off in 2013 following 43 years in service. And you may recall that tragedy struck in 2016 when part of its boiler house collapsed, killing four employees. In 2017, the Oxfordshire town was given the label the most normal town in England. How bad is that? It's like being called nice. Jed Allen grew up in Didcot, but normality was something Jed was not accustomed to in his family upbringing. His mum Janet was working as a florist when she first met Jed's dad, David, who was a supervisor for a builder's merchant. The couple married in 1992 but divorced shortly after the birth of their son the following year. Around this period, Janet developed an alcohol addiction which made life really tough for Janet and for Jed. It got so bad that Jed went to live with his dad and he attended Marlborough School in Woodstock, Oxfordshire. But when his dad remarried and had two children with his new partner, this had a really negative effect on Jed who felt increasingly left out and unwanted. As I think we all know, blended families can be fraught with difficulties around jealousy and belonging. At weekends, Jed would visit his mum, firstly at a house she rented in Bicester, and then at a home in the village of Kidlington. Janet's landlady, Jane, lived next door to her in Kidlington, described the battles that Janet faced on a daily basis. Drink was her real love, she said, but she did love Jed too. The landlady went on to describe a troubling incident when Jed knocked on her door crying one day, saying, Mum is gone, she's passed out. What will I do? What am I going to do? Janet recovered, but this became one of several similar incidents. Jane also described how men were always turning up and knocking on her door, then asking if... They had a key to let them into hers as she was passed out. I always told them no, she said. Janet was such a likeable girl, but she had these problems which affected her whole life and Jed's too. It must have been so tough for Jed, seeing his mum struggling with this addiction and everything that went with it. Janet went on to have two more children between 2002 and 2004 by two different men but unfortunately neither relationship developed as she had hoped. Then after being caught behind the wheel when she'd been drinking, she was banned from driving and her youngest two children were taken into care shortly afterwards. It was a real low point for Janet. And during this period, Jed moved back into 
the house with his mum full-time, who had now begun a relationship with former soldier Mark Crane, who had served in Bosnia and Kosovo. Mark deeply loved Janet, but he found the relationship so difficult to manage. Saying about the four years they were together, that he was more scarred by living with Janet than the horrors he saw in the war zone. One can only imagine, he said, what it was like for her son. He described Janet as the best mum and the devil in disguise. Because of the problems with alcohol, she was a real Jekyll and Hyde figure. When she had things under control, she was up in the morning, sending Jed off to school, making packed lunches, doing the ironing, and being a normal loving mum. He continued that when I met Jed, he was around eight. We got on well and would talk about the army. I decorated his bedroom in camouflage and he thought it was cool, like any normal boy would. But he saw a lot of dysfunction. Mark went on to describe Jed as a soft, sensitive little boy who was bullied for being tall and would often burst into tears because he was scared of losing his mother. She would get drunk and threaten to take her own life and Jed hid any knives in the house because he was worried that she would hurt herself. Mark said, I was a tough adult, but I struggled to cope with that crazy environment. It was all too much for me. It was like a trauma. I couldn't bring myself to even step back in the house after I left because it was such a hysterical place. In 2008, Janet gave birth to Jed's half-sister, Derin, with her partner, Philip Howard, a manager at a local supermarket who had two children from a previous marriage. Jed had another difficult relationship with his stepdad. One friend said, I know Jed had a lot of issues with his mum's boyfriend. He used to blank Jed all the time and cause arguments. Whatever the rights or wrongs of the situation, it's impossible for us to know. I think we can all agree that Jed suffered an utterly miserable childhood. As Jed got older, his growing frustration manifested itself in his behaviour. At an address in Didcot where he lived with his family, the landlady discovered a hole in the kitchen door, which was later discovered to be due to Jed putting his fist through it. But despite these issues with anger, he landed an apprenticeship role as a gardener for Didcot Town Council. And in 2013, the council's website added his photograph as the latest team member, where he could be seen smiling, happy and clean-shaven. But soon after this, there was a significant shift in how Jed looked and behaved. It was now that his obsession with Wolverine began, and he adopted the persona of Wolverine and even grew sideburns to increase the physical resemblance. In March 2015, Jed had moved into a new family home. The house was bigger than their previous one, with four bedrooms and a nice front garden with a yellow rose bush. It was a really nice place. Jed was often seen leaving home with a gym bag over his shoulder. They didn't interact with neighbours, not at all. In contrast, his little sister Derin, who was often known as Desi, was super outgoing. She'd recently learnt to ride her bike without stabilisers, and she'd say hello to anyone with her mum close behind. Derin loved the 80s hit song The Final Countdown by Europe, you know it. She knew the song word for word as her dad used to play it all the time. And Derin was a really happy child. She was always smiling, she loved animals and could often be seen smiling at trips to her nearby donkey sanctuary of her mum and having fun with her dad. 
Jed was, like most young men of his age, deeply into his social media. And his accounts were pretty standard, with selfies, pictures of friends and food. But they also reflected a growing interest in Wolverine. As he began lifting some heavy weights to bulk up, and also he gained a number of tattoos. As you'd expect, this superhero fanatic also filled his social media profiles with his favourite characters, including Bane, Hulk, Punisher and Venom. That it was his obsession with Wolverine that gathered the most attention. In one uploaded photo, Jed slipped back his hair, grew sideburns and posed with three knives between his fingers like the X-Men character. In a post he stated, I should have been Wolverine. He also began to vent his anger with people and his situation on social media. Nothing too unusual there, you may think. We all know people like this, don't we? In one post he wrote, Whoever doesn't like me, just remove me from your lives so I can put you out of my misery. You know who you are. A few weeks later, Jed talked about his frustration at his job and he posted, Work turned sour already. Fed up of being treated like dirt. In a more disturbing photo, Jed's spider-tattooed hand can be seen holding a knife on Instagram. A video posted online suggested that everything was getting on top of Jed. In this video, he screamed that he just couldn't take any more. On the night of the 23rd of May 2015, Thames Valley Police were called to an address on Vicarage Road after a concerned call by a member of the public. When the officers managed to get into their home, they came across a gruesome scene. The bodies of Janet and her six-year-old daughter, Derin, were found dead in an upstairs bedroom, while her partner, Philip's body, was found at the bottom of the stairs. Each member of the family had been stabbed several times with a hunting knife, and each victim also had injuries consistent with someone trying to defend themselves, so they'd really fought for their lives. It appeared that Philip may just have been decorating at the time of the attack. When officers walked into Jed's bedroom, they saw the words, I'm sorry, written in blood on the wall. A bloodstained notebook was found in the kitchen in which Jed had written, I know the truth. I do not want it for me or my family. This is the end. The following morning, the police announced publicly that the individual they were seeking following the murders was Jed Allen. An immediate manhunt for the suspect killer was underway, with over 100 police officers involved in the search. It was vital they found him soon, as he was clearly a danger to himself and others. After killing his family, the police believed that Jed had left the family's home in Digcot and walked to the train station to catch the 5.54pm train to Oxford. He then bought a bottle of water at Oxford train station, before making his way to Oxford University Parks. At 7pm that evening, Jed sent a message to his dad and friends saying, I haven't got much time, they know. I'm nothing more than worthless. I've done what I have to do, please don't cry for me. I love you very much. The police released CCTV of Jed the day after and told the public to call 999 if they saw him. But by 5pm that evening, they received a call from a member of the public claiming to have discovered a body of a man who had taken his own life by hanging in a wooded area in Oxford. Following the discovery, Detective Superintendent Chris Ward made a statement at a press conference. 
Just before five o'clock this evening, members of the public reported finding the body of a man in a wooded area in Marston Road. This is an area that had not been previously searched by police. While no formal ID has taken place, I'm satisfied this is the body of Jed Allen. While the investigation into this murder will continue, I'm not seeking anyone else in relation to this offence. Members of all the victims' families have been informed and they are being supported by specially trained officers. I'd like to offer my condolences to all the family of the victims in this tragic case. At the inquest, it was reported that Janet had battled problems with alcohol, drugs and mental illness for many years, which had led to the removal of her two youngest children. According to her GP, she'd stopped drinking in 2008 and was also prescribed methadone to help her withdraw from heroin. But the toxicology report after her death revealed a high level of heroin in Janet's system, meaning she was likely still using at the time of her murder. The forensic pathologist made clear that even though she had taken heroin not long before her death, Janet was alive when she was stabbed and the injuries that she sustained suggested that she'd also been trying to defend herself and her daughter. The reports also revealed that Philip, her partner, had been using heroin. It was revealed that Jed had been previously referred to mental health services and had been diagnosed with depression. He'd been prescribed antidepressants and had informed psychologists that he was experiencing dark thoughts about hurting people who had wronged him. Jed had told one friend in the days leading up to the murder that he was feeling down, and two days before the killings, he texted the same friend explaining his frustration about not hearing back from a job he'd applied for and how his mum had pulled out of plans to go to the cinema. Jed wrote in a text that his mum was a junkie who cannot keep her life together. But there were no clear signs that Jed would inflict such appalling violence on members of his family. The coroner said this is a shocking case and despite thorough investigation, there appears to be no known reason why the deaths occurred. There were no warning signs that were apparent to anyone. One can speculate that Jed Allen was not of sound mind. That would seem to be the case, but there were no signs of mental health difficulties in the time leading up to when the deaths occurred. Detective Constable Paul Reese read a statement on behalf of the Jordan family outside the coroner's court. No parent should have to bury their child, let alone two of their grandchildren. There are no words that can describe the dreadful impact this terrible event has had on our family. We've been left both dumbstruck and devastated by the events that transpired on that fateful evening. The sense of overwhelming grief and loss for the people who were loved so much is truly unimaginable. We will never know what led to these shocking events. Those who knew Jed were shocked when they heard the news he'd killed his family, of course they were. His friends and relatives believed his obsession with violence and weapons was just an act that was part of a fantasy world he created online that went no further than his social media posts. When talking about what could have driven Jed to commit such brutal acts of violence, his friends were lost for words. On Facebook, one of Jed's friends said, any close friend of Jed's will tell you that this is totally out of character and that these things never happen without a reason behind them. People who kill their family are often known as family annihilators. It's a horrible expression, isn't it? And one UK study looked at cases between 1980 and 2013 in the UK. 
A total of 71 cases were found during this period. In 59 cases, the perpetrators were male, aged between 30 and 40 years old at the time of committing the murder. The study also found that 57% of the cases occurred inside the family home, compared to 17% in an isolated spot. In 32% of the cases, stabbing was the cause of death, followed by 15% being from carbon monoxide poisoning from car exhaust fumes. The killer, in 68% of the cases, took their own lives following the murders. In another study, researchers identified several common factors behind such murders, including a breakdown in family relationships, issues surrounding child visitation, money issues, cultural honour killings, financial hardship, and mental illness. So what do you make of what we've heard today? The brutal murders of Janet, Philip, and their daughter Derin left the small and so-called normal town of Digcott devastated. And as Jed chose to take his own life, the reasons for his actions will never be known for certain. I wonder how his friends and people who knew Jed are feeling now about events eight years on. This terrible act will affect so many people for such a long time. I wonder why Jed didn't take his life straight after the murders. Did it take time for the reality of what he had done to hit home? Had taken his own life never been part of the plan? And just what was the catalyst that led Jed to commit such violence on that one day and time that he did? But we'll never know the answers to those questions. From accounts of those who knew Jed and his social media posts, we can gain some insight into his life in the 21 years he lived. What is clear is he had a dysfunctional upbringing, watching his mum battling with substance abuse and mental illness, and also the removal of his two younger siblings into the care system. However, it is important to remember that many children around the world have similar upbringings and don't commit such acts of violence. As Jed got older, his frustration was clear on social media, but still not to the extent that his future actions could have been predicted. I wonder if you feel sympathy for Jed, who had such a tough time in his short life, or do you struggle to find sympathy due to his actions in killing his mum, stepdad and sister? I think it's hard to imagine the depths of despair he must have felt. But as always, we finish with our thoughts with the family and friends for their terrible loss. It really is impossible to comprehend. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to Facebook and join over 91,000 of us who talk true crime 24-7. Why don't you take a look today? And to support the show, please do head to patreon.com A new full-length bonus episode is due to drop again this week. And a huge thank you to the latest members of this community. That's Crystal, Lee Churchman, Claire Marshall, Christopher Todd, Bethany Sandal, Annie Winters and Peril. Thank you so much. Your support is really so much appreciated. And if you're not supporting me at Patreon yet, please do join our community at patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime and help me continue to release free weekly content. I even promise not to produce a branded keyring. You can't say fairer than that. Okay, so that's all for me, the host of the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcast for another week. 
If you can, please do support my sponsor, Canva, and take a trial with them. It's a great product, and it keeps advertisers spending some money with independent podcasters like me. So until we speak again next week, please do take it easy. And remember, despite all the others, stay classy. Cheerio for now. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.